Welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing to help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. question in here why do the rays keep winning but i actually might ask how do the rays keep winning i'm not sure which one is which one is more more apt here but this the sentiment remains it's bizarre that the rays are winning so much i mean there's a reason why they ended up going to the world series there's a reason why everyone is going towards analytics is because in the regular season you're maximizing you're maximizing your outcomes to give yourself a better chance to win and for the last 16 games, they've done that. They've done it in bunches in a way that, like, the first bunch of the season they weren't. You know, I hadn't actually appreciated the, the subtle point that you just made, which is that this works in the regular season, specifically because baseball is, there's so much parity in baseball. So it works in the regular season. And then they fall apart when they get to the postseason because you actually need to be a better team <laughs> when you get to the postseason. Abs- no, but absolutely. That's, that's the whole thing. So yeah. you're thinking these the analytics driven um, teams do really well in the regular season because you have so many games to work with. You know, it doesn't matter if you're like, if that, uh, if you're winning 85% of the time, if you're giving yourself an 85% chance you're going to win every game. And then you have 15 games in a row where you just lose because that's the outcomes. You're not thinking on an individual game basis. You're thinking about overall, and then you switch to the, to the uh, postseason, and you have to win an individual game, four in a row. It's, it gets a so, little bit harder. So I guess you're what you're saying is we shouldn't actually be that excited about this. No, I don't. I mean, <laughs> no, I don't think so because the the Rays are playing a different game than like most of the other teams. Well, let's move on. And and I I don't understand why you want to talk about Bobby Witt, but you tell me. I mean, well, Bobby Witt before the season was a was someone who's getting a lot of a lot of accolades as being a next thing. And he hit three home runs in the minors. He's I think that he's he's gonna be coming up here soon. Are we really are we really gonna become a prospect watch pod? For top ten prospect, I think we probably should consider it. <laughs> I think I mean well, we're gonna talk about this in the main segment, I think probably, but you and I I don't think we buy into the the prospect hype train as we, we certainly don't as much as other people. No, but I think, okay, so also specifically on a Bobby Witt, he could help win someone's league in the second half if he comes up and steals bases and bunches like he's supposed to. Sure, right. So so maybe you're saying that this is interesting because he is hitting more home runs than you expect. You said last week, Eric, your team isn't getting enough stolen bases. You should probably figure out a way to get stolen bases. There aren't many stolen bases out there. I come in here with a, with a player that I'm like, hey, okay. I know this guy's going to steal bases when he gets up to the majors. Let's watch for when he comes up. I, th- I thought maybe you were highlighting this for my team, saying, like, you should probably completely try a you know the Hail Mary strategy of get as many late late season prospects as you can. You could. 
that would be fun. <laughs> I mean, we're not we're not not getting close to that. But, yeah, your your TGFBI team might as well. It's like okay, well, it's not like you're producing right now, so I I mean, one can only complain about their TGFBI team so often. So many weeks in a row. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it. Well, let's get to the meat of what this podcast is is really about. Children hearing. I like um, it. Okay, let, let's talk about it. So we finished it. <laughs> things that things that I like in retrospect about the book. Um, I realized very early on that I actually didn't want to look at the the chapter titles in the table of contents because uh-huh. it gives away too much. They're way too upfront. <laughs> like the last two. I mean, it's one thing to see that you get to chapter sixteen and you're like, oh, the coming of Glaurung, cool. Chapter 17, The Death of Glaurung. Like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, the Death of Beleg. It's like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> what are we? Come on. I, I would have put the table of contents. If I was to remake this book, I would put the table of contents in the back. You know, no no mistakes. No chances that I can read Death of Turin. <laughs> well, okay. Guess this is going to be a happy book. I, I see what you... Yeah, I see what you're going to do there. Here, Chris. Thank you. But we did okay. But before we get into a retrospective, let's talk about what happened in the the end of the book from when we were last talking. Yeah, but I basically told you. I just gave you three chapter titles. You know what happened? Glauwen came. He died. Turin died. Okay. <laughs> and he didn't want to mention any of the procreation with his sister. <laughs> I was gonna completely skip that part. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that because we left off. <laughs> we left off and. Uh, two paragraphs into the chapter that we started for this week, <laughs> it was like, "Oh, yeah, we're gonna oh, go it's there." One of these, okay. We're go there. So George R. R. Martin was not as original as we thought. He would. It's. I mean, part of reading this book, I read it the first time right as Game of Thrones was coming out, and all my, you know, all of our our friends who are into fantasy is like talking about it, and it's like you're talking about, you know, brother sister fucking. I'm. Reading about brother sister fucking, it seems like this is a really weird, weird world that fantasy has become. The difference is that they didn't know, right? Literally <laughs> until until literally until like which which is nuts, but literally until the Romeo and Juliet scene, effectively. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yes, yes. That there there's a uh, Romeo and Juliet scene at the end is pretty funny. Um, he just Tolkien just took from everything, didn't he? It's it's like Romeo and Juliet didn't know that they were siblings. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah, you know, I I was gonna skip that. So we the chapter is journey of Morwen and Neonor to Nargothrond. Morwen's gone. Like yada yada. Morwen goodbye. We just lost her. <laughs> the the person the person that would have well you obviously hear, I didn't know why he had to get rid of her until the part where Neonor and Turin get together and you're like okay well we had to get rid of Morwen. Thank <laughs> like, yeah thankfully. Yeah, you know, that part, Neonor and Turin getting together is not reflected in the chapter titles. <laughs> I mean, it, it, but you end this book. I do, I do like that you end the book with Huron, with his holding on to his dead wife on a the uh, on the tombstone to his two children who had, he got to watch. He got to watch them. Wow. Yeah, it's messed up, man. Yeah, I mean, Morgoth, like, people say Sauron's evil, but whew, Morgoth took it to another level. <laughs> really, <laughs> he really did. He really did. You challenged me, human being. Well, let me show you. Yeah, watch this. I, what? This book is a challenge. In that way? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I can see why this book isn't more popular because it's an it's a storytelling it's it's a not popular mode of storytelling tragedy today, i would say tragedy yeah. is not a popular no everybody prefers comedy yeah and i mean this is tragedy of the the highest the highest levels <laughs> yes this is this is like i i mean i my guess would be that <laughs> My guess would be that Tolkien went to a uh, riveting performance of Romeo and Juliet and was like, you know what? Watch this. <laughs> and then the hyperdrive didn't work, and then he had to go in the back and then try to find the hydrospanner. Because <laughs> the reason, yeah, exactly. The reason that we're saying that it that it connects well so well with Romeo and Juliet is because of the, the scene where Neonor thinks Turin is dead. <laughs> And then, yeah, and then... Offs herself, literally the Juliet part, and then Turin comes back, wakes up, offs himself. Yep. I mean, broad brushstrokes. It's not quite as, like... I mean, Romeo and Juliet are focused on the other person. They can't see anyone else in the room, kind of like teenagers do. I mean, the two of these people do have, like, conversations with other people or really actually, like, think about, you know... Well, that's what makes it more insane, like... Neonor, and then and then what's his name turns around and Neonor runs off the cliff. <laughs> You're like, wow, <laughs> that that escalated quickly. Yeah, and then Turin is Turin asks his sword, "Will you will you kill me?" And it says, "Yes, please, I'll take your blood." <laughs> because because I read to the end of what we picked as the third part so quickly, I had forgotten very briefly for about a page who Turin was, what Turin's fake name was when. We started the fourth segment, and I was like, "Go for it, Neonor! Good job!" And then, like, wait a second, like the minute, like it just clicked very quickly. Like, oh no, this is Turin. I forgot this is who Turin was. <laughs> like, oh no, oh boy, <laughs> it's actually a great way to read it because I was very just very thrown there for it. Like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> the scenes that I love, the part where he's like, "Yeah, I really hope to see my sister Neonor again," <laughs> and like. Oh, buddy. Oh, <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> and like, I like can you oh, imagine just did the the scene with Maplong and him being like, So she's in Menegroth, right? He's like <laughs> Yeah, no, we kinda lost her. She last time she was seen, she was running naked through the woods, crazed, half crazed <laughs> like an animal. Do you know anyone who's who could be described that way? Like, Found half crazed. <laughs> Nablung could have given me this update a little bit earlier, bud. <laughs> like, well, let's have a chat about the the economy in TGFBI. Um, we're still working on collecting the data, but exactly what we want to do with it. This is a question of how to optimize our teams going forward, how to have a shot at getting the guys that we want. So other weeks we've talked about identifying the guys that we want. This is a little bit more mechanical. How do we get the guys that we want? We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, which is the how much money you need to throw at a guy to get him in TGFBI. And it's actually only gotten wilder, I think, <laughs> since we talked about this. And I say that because uh, last night in, in my league, Alex Manoa went for... Um, Alec, excuse me. Alec Manoa went for... Three hundred and fifty-eight dollars. Two, two, two twenty-three in my league. 
and Alec Manoa, 358, to be clear, is a is a new high point. Um, is a new high point in my league. The runner-up was 179. You see, your runner-up was 174. So that's kind of interesting. Look at that. So which one is which? Which was the better bid, 223 or 358? <laughs> what I'm hoping to do right now in our conversation is figure out what we what we can glean from this data set of all the transaction logs i'm not sure that we're ready to forecast yet going forward hey here's how many dollars i should throw at a guy but we need to start developing the framework that gets us towards that question mm -hmm. and you asked me an interesting question which was or we, we were talking about an interesting concept which was this idea that I think everybody who's ever bid on a guy in fantasy baseball is aware that you have a tier system in your head that you're unavoidably consulting every time you make every time you put in a bid, uh, and you say, "Well, I think this guy's going to be worth this much," and then maybe you take the next step and say, "Well, I'm trying to outfox everyone else in my league, and I'm going to have to put in this a little bit extra because I want him." this much, you know, X amount. Right. And that, that really rears its head when you're talking about a 15-team league <laughs> that has no trades, so this is your only mechanism to change your team. I was actually pretty surprised. I put, put this together for your league. Do you, do you think that you generally overbid or underbid relative to your league? Oh, I know that I underbid. Like, badly? <laughs> I underbid pretty badly. Yeah, and then I'll just then there'll be a guy that I'm like, I just need to get this guy, and I'll put, and then I'll overbid. So my winning, I guess that's just a different question, right? My winning bids might be overbids. Most of my bids are underbids. So I mean, in a in a league like TGFBI, there's going to be a huge advantage to somebody who can figure out the economy, mm -hmm. right? Who can who can tune the bids to put in the 223 for Alec Manoa instead of the 358. Right. Well, I'm sure there's someone who bid the who bid 170, 180 and got it. Yes, and I, I think you highlighted actually the appropriate thing that we should be trying to get out of this analysis, which is less the the end that tilts towards $358 bids or $273 bids and or $224 bids and tilts towards the $10 bids and says, how do I win every time at the $10 bid level? How do I never, how do I never get outbid for a guy that's like, Whew, this is a necessary part to upgrade on my team. I, yeah, yes, exactly. I want to make sure that we are able to, I want to make sure that I'm able to put in a bid and know, okay, this, this was a guy who was, who I value in the, I think I should be able to get in the one to ten dollar range. I really want him. I want to make sure that I get him because if I don't get him, then all I have is an IL spot in my yeah. outfield. Yep. yep. I don't want to miss out on him, and I, but I don't want to spend fifty dollars on him like I had to do with Dalton Varshow to make sure that I just got a guy. Oh, did you get Dalton Varshow? I did. I grabbed him for fifty, which is such an overpay. But I put in for three guys and didn't get any of them and i don't think i was even the runner-up on um two of them why why do people why are putting in why is anyone putting more than the minimum bid for bad miller i mean 15 i did that... not put a second digit on that bid 
I mean, it's a fabulous question, but we, we were talking, we were kicking this around very briefly earlier because right now we're at such a raw point in this that we're, that we're still working on the theory of the case. Like we're still working on like, what is the theoretical framework under which we're going to operate to analyze this? Because it's nuts, the data that we have, but go ahead. Well, and this is, and this is actually, this is, I'm getting into, I took a look at, um, if I was able to scrape this easily from the script that I have that is um, a little bit older, the my complaint with grabbing this, copy and pasting it from the website, which is, I think that part of this analysis is longitudinal. And one of the difficulties in copy and pasting from the website is that you do not grab dates to all of these assignments. So you're not creating a very good data set. You are You end up having to do a little bit of finagling to get dates assigned to each one of the bids and one of the pieces that i want to be able to see is is there directionality of those bids because people are going to be losing money over time we know that this is true you're not getting any more fab money over time is there some sort of linear regression to the minimum bids to the maximum bids are the minimum bids going up over time as the maximum bids have to go down over time? That's a great question. I mean, there there obviously is a sense. The things that we can say for sure about the mode of bidding in TGFBI is that people obviously think that they need to change horses midstream early season, right? In the sense that like you get one, you get one Alec Manoa $358 bid, right? You only have $1,000. Like if you're gonna do if you're gonna do two of those, every one every other one of your bids is gonna be a dollar for the rest of the season. Oof. How but, about this? You, you you only get one Corey Kluber at twenty three bucks after he he has a no hitter. <laughs> I guess I guess this is for his no hitter, but um, short lived. That yeah, short short lived joy. I I really wish you hadn't brought that up, of course, because I have Corey Kluber <laughs> on my on my team. This guy. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're, I think you're right that, I mean, we've talked about this before. Like, if you're just holding on and actually still playing in September, you can you can move up a lot of spots in TGFBI, and doing an economic analysis that says like, well, I need to go into September or into August with two hundred and fifty dollars or something because here's what I'll be able to do with it. If I get yeah, if I can make five moves a week. Or even block five moves a week yeah. by have by putting in fifteen dollar bids at the end of the season. That would I mean I, we we're, we don't talk nearly enough about fab fab blocks. I yeah I mean uh, the game I theory like aspect of blocking is something there, that we don't. Yes, but there's so few there's so few spots in in TGFBI. I mean we've both been we've both been hammered by um, IL spots like dead spots this year. Like if we if we were riding so well that we had never had a dead spot this year, I mean this is like my my other team right is carrying two catchers right now because I can, <laughs> but like but like in this team it's like I got to get guys on the field. <laughs> right, this is the difference. If we're talking in September, and if one oh. of us and one of my problems two years ago when I had a really good team that I wanted to make up some ground at the end, I should have figured out how to block. A little bit more so that other people couldn't be picking up in my league at least because my league was pretty good we ended up 
placing like three or four people in the top top hundred. If we could block them, well, maybe not appreciably making my team better. I could have ended up winning my league. Okay, so we've kicked we've kicked around a lot of ideas, and I think I think you identified a really good concrete question, which is how do we position ourselves going forward in the season to do more to wield more economic power mm-hmm. in the sense that like how do we because you you actually have i looked at this you have not spent that much money let me let me tell you how much i think you've spent you've spent 217 dollars, so you should be at 783 okay and uh <laughs> stamful has spent uh 906 dollars yeah he's the one who did the cory kluber <laughs> <laughs> i i mean I, you know, this is also a good excuse for me to see the names in your league. Like, Lunchmate is a great name. This <laughs> is a side note. There's some good ones in my league. But there's two dead teams in your league, at least. Yep. They're, but they're, they're not, one of them is terrible, but I can't remember. Yeah. So anyway, I, I think, right. So we came up with this, we came up with a concrete goal, which is how do we wield economic power towards the end of the season? We need to look at what we can do. This is a really fun modeling system because the data set is so censored in the sense that <laughs> you get, you get success, you get one runner up information uh, when, you know, when it's available, but you have no, I, you're trying to, we're trying to infer the rest of the distribution from nothing. Like, for instance, I put in a $50 bid for Alec Manoa because, like, eh, you know, what if everybody else missed it? But, like, <laughs> presumably everybody else did that, too. And what I don't know is, did the guy who put in a 174, did he think this is a eh, bid, maybe I'll get it? Or was that, like, 174 is the correct amount to bid for this person? That would be my... Because I, I would love to know, and maybe this gets to your tiers, like... I want to. I want to at least be able to split the bids into. I think I'm going to get this person, versus like, I'll put this in in case everybody else falls through and I get this one. That would be. Yeah, I wish that we could get that. I think we need some uh, survey data. <laughs> well, I mean, we need survey data, or we need to be, we need to build an insanely clever model. Yes. And you know me, I would love to lean towards building an insanely clever model. Don't talk to a human being. If possible, absolutely. Well, Only we have two human beings right here. This we might do. be as good as okay. we're going to do. <laughs> I mean, you have you have what have everybody players. else did. You have what everybody else did. Plus, you have you have infinite knowledge about what you actually did, right? So that's but that's literally all the data that you have for this problem, and you have to infer everything else. <laughs> okay, I think that about brings us to the review session. Javier Baez. Let's not talk about anything until we talk about heads up base running and the pirates T ball <laughs> abilities. <laughs> wow. It's it's not often that I get to look usually our review players are do something like, I don't know, go in the COVID IL or <laughs> go down for the season. You know, it's not usually that they're in the news because they had the week's wackiest play. Yeah, and uh, we definitively week's wackiest play. Um, I mean, I, I'm inclined to say that this is just full-on Pirates' fault. Yes, yes. That's, that's what I was going to ask. This is, it, what were the Pirates thinking? Uh, they weren't. They were making snap decisions without contemplating anything. Like One thing that was clear is that Javier Baez clearly had a game plan in his head in this on this play, like what he was doing. <laughs> And whatever the first baseman just completely flubbed it. 
touch fucking bag. We thought, what are you doing? He, thought it was a, he thought it was a joke play, right? But did, he, he did he? He did. He he had to. If he had to have thought like, oh, this isn't, you know, this isn't a big deal. Like this is just like whatever. Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. I thought you meant like it's a you know he should he shouldn't have actually been running down the line or something like that. Um, that was what I like at first. It's funny because you you watch it and you're like something is wrong here. Other than he uh, he can't run back to home, but. Other than that, you're like, something is wrong here because something else had to go wrong for that to happen. And then, like, it took me the second time watching of, like, oh, he doesn't have to touch him. Yep, exactly. <laughs> he doesn't have exactly. to him. It, I, There's no... Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess you're so in your head as the first baseman that, you know, you've seen plays where, oh, I got pulled off the bag, so I had to tag the guy as he ran past. But, yeah. you know, the thing that you miss is, like, the only reason they do that is because they can't beat them back to the bag. <laughs> yeah. But, like, if you're literally standing between the guy and the bag, like, what are you doing? Yeah. That was insane. That was... Anyway. And good then, job, Javier I mean, then, to, to add insult to injury, he ends up on second. Like, wow. Well, it, it is two, two bad throws in a row is remarkable. Okay. Whatever. That's actually maybe not the most impressive thing about Javier Baez right now. And as I run through these numbers, 47 games so far, okay... We're, we're so far deep into the season already. I'm very impressed. 28 runs, little low. 33 RBIs. 11 home runs, though. 8 stolen bases. There's some stuff to like here. 254 average. That could come up a little bit. 11 home runs and 8 stolen bases. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's interesting to see him stealing, stealing the bases again. I mean, this looks more like his 2018 season than anything else it's which was his best this is his best season yes i am for 2019 i think <laughs> I, I mean 2019 wasn't a bad season but yeah but it's... it wasn't a 2018 you looked at him and you said this could be a top 60 player and in 2019 you said oh no yeah no 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 you kind of look at his stats and you're like oh, that's a good stat line for fantasy baseball and then you look in Statcast at his uh percentile ranks and you're like what is what is going on here? He's got high max exit velocity, good sprint speed, hard hit is 58%, whiff percent is 2, barrel percent is 78. That's a little bit surprising, but a lot of his walk percent is 2? Whoa. He is, he is the slap ultimate, hitter. He's the ultimate boomer bust guy in this, right? Slap hitter. Just, just keep on swinging because... It's going to connect sometime, and that's what has me concerned. Two fifty four, um, he's that could go south fast, couldn't it? Um, well, I mean, you you see the limits, right? You see, last year he hit two hundred three, mm-hmm. but every other year he's been above two seventy. Yeah. So you know, who cares? Who cares that he walks? Um, let's see, during an entire season, he'll walk less than thirty times. Yep. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. He's going to get less than thirty walks. That's insane. Decent hit by pitch. <laughs> Lean into those, buddy. <laughs> Numbers this year. Yeah, I mean, this this OBP is really... The, the gap between his OBP and average is very small. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, it's bigger than I would have expected, though. Well, it's those, those hit by pitches, I guess. I mean, if you're, if you're being year. hit by a pitch, like, roughly one in every six times that you take a walk... <laughs> Just line up right over the plate. Um... You you have to be happy if you where you drafted him this year, right? 
mm-hmm. to get this production. No, this is, yeah, you have to be happy because he could have gone the other direction. He could have just repeated 2020. Sure. I guess in theory he might end up getting there, but I, I, it doesn't look like that's... Um, I, I don't think he's... He doesn't seem to be on He's got the, enough momentum. He doesn't seem to be on the 2020 trajectory. Okay, this is actually crazy. I just realized that in two weeks when we talk again, we will have had more baseball than all of 2020. I I was coming up with that too. Yeah. We've hit we were close to hitting the season totals from last year. Well, that's actually kind of fun. That means we can do we'll be able to do some uh, direct comparison. I mean, he's already got more home runs this year than he had last year. Mm-hmm. Same is true for stolen bases. Same. So, yep. I actually don't think I think you can pretty definitively say that he's not going to be on track for what he did last year. No, it's everything. He's beating his numbers from last year in everything except for average. Oh, even doubles. including average, including except average. for doubles. <laughs> except for doubles literally except for doubles and at bats yeah i mean so i mean he's <laughs> he's obviously the his distribution is more consistent with a 2019 the question is can he get to a 2018 even a 2017 is fine i mean 2017 is 23 home runs 10 stolen bases you had to you had to hope that he would hit that when you drafted him this year right i mean remember we're we're deep into the the guys that you would have drafted at shortstop so you're you're hopefully getting him for a semi discount because most of the leagues that you're in, everyone's already picked up a shortstop. Who should we talk about next week? We should talk about Dansby Swanson. Okay. Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is, worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too.